Thank you for joining us for today's Practical Living broadcast, and I pray that through this message that you will learn how to apply God's Word and truths to any situation in your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. We're wrapping up today a series of messages we've been involved in over the summer, talking about the God of promises. I want to conclude today by talking about the God who cares for us. This is part two of the message that we started last weekend. If you missed last weekend's message, it's online there for you. I would encourage you to go back and listen to that message. Jesus, there was a request made of Jesus by his disciples one day where they come to him and say, Jesus, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. For thine is, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We know that as the Lord's Prayer. It's actually not the Lord's Prayer. It's actually our prayer. It's called, we might even appropriately call it the follower of Jesus' prayer. And there are segments to that prayer, and I've taught many times over the years on the different aspects of the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. But our focus at this particular point in this series is on hallowing God's name. Hallowed be your name. Say that phrase with me. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed means to honor, means to set apart as unique, special. It's not common. God, we honor and we set apart your, your name. Now, while God is one, expressed in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one in three, three in one, nevertheless, one name is not sufficient for God. In fact, we see throughout the pages of the Bible various names given to us to help us to understand the many different aspects of God's nature and God's character. One of the primary names of God in the Old Testament is the name Yahweh or the name Jehovah. You perhaps have heard that. You'll find that name in some of the songs that we sing from time to time. But Jehovah or Yahweh means this. It means the I am that I am. It was revealed, that name was revealed to Moses when Moses was getting ready or called by God at the burning bush to lead the children of Israel out of slavery. And he says, who should I tell the Israelites sent me? Who will I tell Pharaoh sent me? And he says, tell them that Yahweh. Yahweh, the I am that I am sent you. I am the eternal existent God. I am that I am. So again, Yahweh or Jehovah. And then we also find throughout the pages of the Old Testament in Hebrew, various Hebrew descriptors added to the name Jehovah to give us understanding of different aspects of his nature, God's nature and God's character. And I've been talking about, or we've been talking about that over the summer. Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Jehovah Nisi, the God who is our banner. Jehovah Shama, the God who is present with us. Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord who is righteousness or makes us right. Jehovah Shalom, the God who is our peace. Jehovah Makedesh, the God who makes us holy and makes us Whole. And in this part of the series, we're talking about that final of the eighth compound names of God, Jehovah-Rohi. Say his name, Jehovah-Rohi. And Jehovah-Rohi is found in one of the most familiar passages in all of the Old Testament. You know it well. Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my, he is Jehovah-Rohi. The Lord is my shepherd, 
I lack nothing. Or as the New Living Translation says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. This is a Psalm of David, second king of Israel. David most likely writes this Psalm at a at a, latter, at a latter part of his life, the later years of his life, we don't know for sure what, what occasioned him writing this psalm. Many people think, and I'm of this opinion as well, that perhaps David wrote this psalm at the time when his son Absalom was trying to take the kingdom away from him. And we see David leaving Jerusalem, weeping, going through the Kidron Valley on the way out, fearing for his own life. You can read about that in 2 Samuel chapter 15, but that perhaps would be the right kind of setting. But nevertheless, we know that David was distressed. David was in a tough place in his life when he penned these words inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he understood the context of this psalm because David had been a shepherd himself. He had shepherded his father Jesse's sheep. He had been the shepherd of the nation of Israel, as king of Israel. He understood what it meant to be a shepherd, but he also understood what it meant to be one of God's sheep. And so he writes this psalm inspired by the Holy Spirit from the perspective of a sheep, not of a shepherd, but of him being the sheep. Let me quickly add, before we move forward into today's message, an understanding that this Jehovah Rohi, this presentation of the Lord, our shepherd, is not just an Old Testament concept. Jesus, when he comes on the scene, makes it clear that he is our Jehovah Rohi. I am the, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And so Jehovah Rohi that David knew in the Old Testament is Jesus Christ, the Son of God that we know from the experience of the New Testament of Christ coming to earth, dying on the cross, rising from the grave, rising to the ascension into heaven, coming back again. Jesus is our Jehovah Rohi. He's our good shepherd. And the good shepherd does certain things for sheep. David understood this. We talked last weekend about how the good shepherd feeds sheep. Makes me to lie down in green pastures. Leads me beside the quiet waters. I talked about that. The good shepherd, a good shepherd restores. Brings back together broken places. Restores my soul. The good shepherd leads us. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Today I want to talk about three more things that the good shepherd Jesus will do in your life as you put your confidence and trust in him. The first thing for today is that the good shepherd will carry you in life. He carries us. One of the most wonderful things that we can have in life would be faithful friends. Would you agree with me? To have a faithful friend. Now, notice I use the description. They're not friends, but faithful friends. There's a difference between someone who says they're your friend and someone who's really your friend. Because a real friend is someone who is committed to you through thick and thin. A real friend is someone who's there with you through the good times and the bad times. A real friend is there in the bright seasons of life, and they're also with you during the dark seasons of life. The writer of Proverbs describes the value of a true or loyal friend in these words. Many will say they are loyal friends, but who can find one who is really faithful. And David says, I found a friend who is truly 
faithful. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. David said, I have found a friend. He is Jehovah Rohi. He is a faithful, loyal friend and shepherd to us. That is, the good shepherd is going to walk with you through thick and thin. He's going to walk with you through the good times and the bad times. He's going to walk with you through the bright seasons. He's going to walk you through the darkest seasons of life. And this is exactly what David says in the fourth verse of this 23rd Psalm when he writes these words. Even when I walk through the dark valley of death, I will not be afraid for you. You are where? close beside me, your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Notice that he says that you're close beside me. Now, I want to break this apart just for a moment for us, because this is important teaching for each one of us. David does not say, even if I walk through the dark valley, if is not used there. The word that's used is when or though. It implies the fact that all of us are going to go through valleys in life. There are going to be times that you're not going to be on the mountaintop. So there will be times and you will be in the valleys of life. Even when I walk through the dark valley of death. The actual Hebrew rendering here is a little more descriptive. It's a phrase that speaks more volumes of depth to us and darkness to us. In fact, it reads like this. Even when I walk through the valley of deepest darkness... Not just a dark valley of death, but even when I walk through the valley of deepest darkness in life, when I'm going through the lowest moments of my life, I know that you are with me. Valleys are real. Valleys happen to us. And valleys come to us in a variety of forms. They happen in many different ways. Let me share with you some common valleys that we go through. Sometimes our valley results because our plans are disrupted. We'd planned something and we wanted it to work out a certain way and the plan just didn't work out. We find ourselves in a situation trying to figure out why did the plan not work? This was our plan. Everything's now different because it just simply didn't work and now we're in a dark place. Sometimes we're in a valley because our hopes have been put on hold. We had hoped for something to occur at a particular time frame or some kind of thing happening in our life and it just hasn't materialized and there we are left trying again to make sense of what's going on in our life in the midst of darkness. Sometimes we're in a valley because of our own failures. Our failures have leveled us. Have you ever put your own self in a valley because you messed up, you made a mistake in some way? And we all do. And times when you bring things on yourself just by the mistakes that you've made or sometimes it's the mistakes of other people and what other people do in their sinful condition throws us in a valley because they've made some bad decisions in their life. And so we're dealing with the issue of the failures of other people. Sometimes we're in a valley because of circumstances that now threaten us. It seems as though the dark clouds have come in from the environment around us and something on the outside of our world is now affecting our individual world. It might be a, a, the loss of a job. It might be a, a health situation you're dealing with or maybe something in your job environment that now has arisen that now is producing stress in your life or darkness for your life. But there's circumstances that are beyond your control that are threatening your existence in some way. I found the next one to be true as well. Sometimes you're in a valley because your vision has vanished from you. You had a sense of purpose and 
You, be, you seem to have been able to clear see, clearly see where you were going, but suddenly that's gone. Your vision is gone. You can't figure out what life is all about. And that leads me to my last one here. Sometimes you're in a valley because this is perhaps a part of it all. Your understanding escapes you. You just can't figure it out. You can't understand why things are happening the way they are. And during these times, our future seems very uncertain. We're engulfed in the valley of deepest darkness. And King David reminded us that we have a good shepherd that never abandons us in our dark valleys. Here's how he carries us through our dark valleys. He does it by providing us his presence. He says, I will never, ever leave you. Even when you can't see me, I am there with you. In another psalm, David wrote these words, Where could I go to escape from you? Where could I get away from your presence? If I went up to heaven, you would be there. If I lay down in the world of the dead, you would be there. If I flew away beyond the east or lived in the farthest, farthest place in the west, you would be there to lead me. You would be there to help me. Always remember that these moments of valley times in your life, you're not there by yourself. You may not be able to see the shepherd with you, but he's promised that he would never leave you. His presence is there. What carries you through your valley? I'll tell you what carries you through your valley, knowing the promises of God. So many times in my own life, the very thing that got me through the darkest moments of life is just to hold on in desperation to a promise from God's word. That means that you need to know the promises of God. Do you know God's promises? We do our best around here to try to help people learn the promises of God. In fact, a few years ago, I wrote a little book called Unleashed, and that book describes the affirmations from Scripture that you and I need to embrace in our lives. Those are available for you if you need to learn about the promises of God. But we need to know God's promise, because promise is what you hold on to when everything is dark around you. As David says here, these words hold me up in bad times. Yes, your promises, what do they do for me? They rejuvenate me. During the dark seasons and valleys of life, the shepherd also gives you his principles. He teaches you principles to live by. You learn how to live on the principle of prayer. You learn how to practice the principle of praise even when you don't feel like it. You learn lots of things that you could only learn in those valley moments. You learn how to live life not by your emotions. You learn to live life on the basis of principles. Because principles are far more important than the emotions of your life. And so you learn to live not on your feelings, but on the principles of God's Word. David gives us this in Psalm 119, verse 71. The suffering or the dark valley you sent was good for me was good for me. For it, what did it do? It taught me to pay attention to what? Your, not to pay so much attention to my feelings, but to pay attention to your principles. What does the shepherd do for us in the dark valley? He also gives us peace. You have to contend for that peace, but it's available for you and me. That he's there to comfort you, to whisper into your soul that everything's going to be all right. To whisper to you and tell you the best in your life is yet to come. To let you know that this is not the end. 
to let you know that you're going to make it through to the other side. Because David said, even though, even when I walk, notice this, through the valley of the shadow of death. Valleys are never designed for, for permanent parking. They're designed for temporary sojourning. God never designed you to live in a valley. There's another mountaintop waiting you on the other side. You need to hold on to that promise and hold on to the peace that that promise provides for you. As is described here in Psalm 1, excuse me, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 33. But all who listen to me, just listen, listen, listen for the voice of God in your valley. All who listen to me will live in what? Peace and safety unafraid of harm. Are you going through a valley right now? Can I encourage you? Tune your ear to the voice of the shepherd saying, it's going to be all right. You are going to make it through. This is not going to destroy you. Your best is yet to come. I just want to pause for a moment. I feel I haven't done this in the other services, but I want to pause for a moment. I want you to hear somebody really needs to hear this. Your best isn't behind you. Your best is in front of you. Okay. So, I, I'm not, please understand, I'm not priming you for applause here. I, I, I could care less whether you want to applaud it or not. But what I want somebody to hear today, because this will save your life right now. Your best isn't behind you. Your best is in front of you. Okay. Your best is in front of you. To lay hold of that reality deep in your soul. That's a promise from Almighty God. And I'll tell you how it's going to happen because the, here's what the shepherd does for you in the valley. He works his power in you, okay? See, one of the amazing things about, about valleys is it takes you out of you. Because you get tired and weary in a valley and you get weak in a valley. And God says, that's exactly what I've been waiting on. Because my power is made perfect in weakness. And so when you learn to stop depending on you and start depending on me, then suddenly you've placed yourself at a higher level of possibility for life. And I can do things for you that you could never do for yourself. And my power is made perfect in weakness. I love this passage from Isaiah. Promise from God to you today. Would you hear it? I, God says, I will be your God throughout your lifetime. Until your hair is. Until your hair is white with age. I made you and I will care for you. I will carry you along and save you. I think we ought to take just a little bit of a praise break right there. Don't you think so? I will be your God throughout your lifetime. Until your hair is white with age, I made you and I will care for you. I will carry you along and God says, I will save you. So the good shepherd carries you. What else does the good shepherd do? He also, yes, it's true. He also corrects you. He corrects us. David understood something as a shepherd and also as one of God's sheep. He understood that sheep have a tendency to get themselves in trouble. Right? And a skilled shepherd understands the importance of discipline in, in the flock. Got to be some discipline there in the flock. So David gives us these words. We read them a moment ago. He says, your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Your rod and your staff. Let's talk about it. These are two instruments 
that a good shepherd has in hand, okay, a rod and a staff. Now, I'm going to talk about them, and I'm going to flip them for a moment. I'm going to talk about the staff first, then I'll talk about the rod just for a moment. So what is the staff? You've seen a shepherd's staff before. It's generally a long stick with a crooked end on the uh, crooked part of the end. And the shepherd's staff is, is a comforting thing for the sheep to see and something very beneficial for a shepherd to have because it's how a shepherd makes gentle adjustments. That's what a staff is for. You, you reach out and you make gentle adjustments. You, you have a little sheep that's wandering away, or a little lamb, and you put the little crooked edge around the sheep and gently draw them back in or you draw the sheep together. It's sort of an extension of the shepherd's arm. So the shepherd can only reach so far with the arm, but the, the, the staff extends the arm, extends the reach. And there are many times in life as you're walking through various seasons, not only the valleys, but sometimes even the mountaintops of life, that God has to get his staff out and gently nudge you along the way with the instruction of his word, with the working of his spirit, with the working of God's sheep around you, that he works this process of adjusting our life as as it needs to be adjusted. I think all of us, perhaps, if we can look back over our lives honestly, we can look at times when God had to bring some adjustment to our life, and He gently did it. It was not a massive, traumatic thing, but He just gently guided us along the way and adjusted us when we were getting a little off course. Now, look, if you don't pay attention to this, He also has this, okay? Because every good shepherd has both of these things. Now, this is a little more serious, the rod is a shorter stick, it's beefier in nature. It's something that can be flung at, at animals that are threatening the flock, but also can be thrung, flung toward a sheep, not to harm them or hurt them in any way, but to get their attention. We might say that the rod is there for not only discipline, but warning. It helps that sheep to realize, I need, this is serious, I can't stay on this track anymore, because sheep at times can be very stubborn very stubborn and strong-willed in nature. And so the shepherd says, you know, you haven't responded to my staff. Let me see what you'll do with my rod. Okay. And all of us are the recipients of the rod of God at times. Ask me how I know. Because I've experienced that in my life. Have you? Has there ever been a time when God rebuked you? If you haven't been rebuked by God, Probably because you're not listening. Because God has something to say to all of us. We need the adjustment of God by his staff and the adjustment of God by his rod. And he rebukes us. And he, not to hurt us, not to damage us. Because all correction from God is based in his love. It's always based in his love. It's not based in retribution toward us. A shepherd who's just abusive to the flock isn't a good shepherd. And so the staff and the rod are not there to be used in an abusive form, but in a healthy form to make sure that we're where we need to be. So the good shepherd carries us. The good shepherd, what else does he do? He makes sure that he protects us along the journey. And then, or corrects us, I should say. And then the third one is that he also protects us. So carries, corrects, and protects. Say them with me. Carries, corrects, and protects. Okay? So let's talk about protection just for a moment. Look at, again, what he says here. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. As the sheep says, I'm comforted. David says to see that you've got a rod and a staff because I know I'm going to need this in my life. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, which, by the way, God is able to work in your life in the presence of enemies around you. Okay? 
We all live in a hostile world. This world, don't, don't you dare believe anything different. This world is hostile to Christians. Are you hearing me? This world is hostile to Christians. And so God is able to put a table before you in the presence of the enemies. Okay. He's able to bless you, keep you going, favor you, do all kind of things. Even when your enemies don't want good for you, God says, I can still bless you in the midst of what seems to be an adversive set of circumstances. Okay. That's not even in my notes, but you got it for free today. That's good. Okay. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So the rod and the staff are not just there for the sheep. They're also there to protect the sheep from other influences. And the shepherd is on guard against other things that can get in the way of the health of the sheep or the safety of the sheep. He's there to cast that rod at times at predators that would come their way. Whether, they be a, whether it be a wolf or a coyote or a cougar or some kind of threatening force that would come after the sheep, the shepherd is vigilant, paying attention, and casts that rod against that particular uh, predator. We all have a predator as well. His name is the devil. Are you with me today? Okay. The devil's after you. I don't say that to make you feel afraid, but the Bible is clear. We're not to be ignorant of the devil's devices. He goes around, he, he circles around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. There's a predator, but you don't need to be afraid because you've got a good shepherd watching over you. Isn't that great to know? You don't have to fear. You need to be aware of the devil, but you don't need to fear the devil. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. You don't need to be afraid of the enemy. You need to be aware of the fact that... In your power, you're no match for him, but you don't live in your power. You live in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And so he is your Jehovah Rohi. He's the one to protect you against the predators that come your way as long as you don't practice stupidity in the process, okay? Okay. And do stupid things, okay? You can't just go and do whatever you want to do and expect the shepherd to protect you. You have a responsibility in it as well. So he protects us from the predators. He also protects us from poison. I told you last week, sheep are very, they don't discriminate well when it comes to what they eat. A lot of animals, when they approach a particular um, type food and they recognize it's toxic, they won't eat it because they, something inherently or instinctively lets them know I'm not to eat this. Sheep will eat anything okay, that's put in front of them. And so the shepherd has to make sure that he's guiding them into the right pastures. He, he brings, makes me lie down in green pastures. And so he helps us to avoid things that aren't a good diet for you. That's why sometimes if you'll listen, the Holy Spirit will correct you and adjust you and remind you that that television program you're watching or that website you're on or that movie you're just about to go see or that you're seeing right now is poison. Yes. Okay. Which means turn it off. Get up and walk out. You say, well, I paid for the movie. <laughs> Who cares? What's more important? The, whatever the, I don't even know what a movie ticket costs. What does a movie ticket cost? That tells you how long it's been since I've been to one, okay? Whatever it costs, is your soul worth more than that? Of course it is. And so that's why the Holy Spirit's there to make you aware. Don't look at that. Don't go there. Don't engage in that because it's poison. So that's the shepherd protecting you as a part of the process. But I'll tell you something else he protects us from. He protects us from pest as well. 
Let me explain this to you. You ever had a test in your life? That's not your husband or your wife, by the way. Okay. A few weeks ago, I can't remember exactly, maybe months ago, I can't remember right now. I believe we were in the car, if I remember correctly, my wife and I, and a fly got in the car with us. And that was the most stubborn, rebellious fly I've ever met in my entire life. The devil was in that fly. Okay? Because one fly bugged the life out of me. I mean, and her, we were working, doing everything possible to try to get that fly out, and I'm doing everything to swat him, and she's trying to swat him, and we're, we're, we're I mean, I, at some point, it became personal. <laughs> it became personal. Like, no, we're going to deal with this. You push my button way too far, fly. If I have to stop and buy a shotgun, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> We're going to deal with you. And so it, about 30, 45 minutes, we finally dealt. That fly stole somewhere between a half hour and an hour of my life. I'm still mad at him. <laughs> I may never forgive that fly. I may never. Pest. Pest. Just things that are pesty in your life. If the devil can't get you through his predatory work... And if the devil can't get you through his poison work, he'll try to get you through his pesty work. Okay, Let me explain what I mean by that. David understood this well. Because shepherds understood a vulnerability that all sheep have. Sheep in their mucous membrane, their nose is very moist, as most animals are. In fact, your little dog, touch your hand, you feel the moisture on their their noses, but sheep even more so. And at a certain season of the year, there are certain nose flies that fly in and are attracted to the moist uh, mucous membranes of that sheep. And they fly up onto the sheep's nose and crawl up the sheep's nostrils. There are airbags in front of your seat if you need to vomit right now. Please feel free to do so. Okay. And so they crawl up and they lay their eggs up in the nostrils of the sheep. And as these flies are in there and those, the larva begins to form inside the sheep and the movement, sheep actually can't, you can, if it becomes bad, bad enough, some shepherds will say sheep will even they'll just bang their head against anything hard trying to deal with the irritation that's coming from all of those pests up in their brain, up in their nostril area, and it can drive them crazy, literally. And emaciate them because they can't eat, can't focus on anything else. Because flies get in their head. Pests get in their head. And the number one point of attack that the enemy has in your life is in your head. He wants to fly in and get in your brain and lay little eggs there, okay? And then they hatch over a period of time, and you've beaten your head against the wall here and there trying to deal with... Anybody have ever deal with pesty thoughts in your mind? You don't deal with them? I sure do. Well, shepherds going back in antiquity learned something. They learned that they would take oil and mix some additional substances with the oil and anoint the head of the sheep with oil. It would protect them from the pest coming in and robbing them of their vitality. So David says, he anoints 
my head with oil. He keeps those pests out of my brain, okay? And there's some of you here today that you are dealing with the pesty thoughts of the evil one. You need a baptism in oil today, okay? Some of you need a 50-gallon barrel of oil poured on your head right now. Not just a little drip and drop there. But here's the good news. The great shepherd has all the oil you need, okay? To pour on your head right now. And the deal that I'm learning in my life, and I say I am learning because I haven't learned this yet, because we're all in a journey, I'm learning this. I don't need oil one time a day. I need oil regularly throughout my day. Because if I get anointed in the morning and my thoughts get all cleared up in the right place by about noon, I need some more oil. How about you, okay? Because something's happened by noontime or even before then that's got me all stirred up inside. My brain's going this way and that way and I'm thinking this and what if that and about this over here. And so uh, about noontime, I need another dip in the oil and about uh, middle of the afternoon, I need another dip in the oil. And before I go to bed at night, I certainly need another dip in the oil. And there have been times that I've been awakened at two or three o'clock in the morning morning looking for some oil okay how about you okay lord anoint my head with oil because you're my good shepherd to keep the pest out of my mind the good shepherd carries us the good shepherd corrects us and the good shepherd protects us and david concludes with these words i love them you know them don't you Once he's gone through this whole process, he makes a declaration. Surely, surely means no doubt about it. Surely goodness and love, or you perhaps know it, goodness and mercy, will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Would you bow your heads with me today? Jehovah-Rohi, good shepherd, Thank you that we're your sheep. For those who know you as Lord and Savior, that we're part of your flock, Lord, and you care for us. Thank you for carrying us through our darkest valleys. Thank you, Lord, for the moments that you correct us when we need to be corrected, not because you're angry with us, but because you love us. And thank you, Lord, that you protect us from the predators and the poison and the pest. So today we come and we worship you, Jehovah-Rohi, good shepherd of our souls. And Lord, I pray this morning especially, I pray for the anointing oil of the Holy Spirit to come down upon the heads of your sheep here today. Would you just lift your hands or your heart to God right now as I pray this? Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus. Let there come, Lord, even now from heaven above, good shepherd of our soul, pour out oil on the heads of your sheep today. Lord, many of us have been troubled by our thoughts. We've been, pe- we've been pestered by these pesty thoughts. Thoughts that have caused us fear and anxiety and worry. But Lord, I pray today for a fresh oil, a fresh anointing upon the heads of your sheep today. And Lord, we declare as the psalmist David did, surely goodness and love and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. And we've made the decision that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In Jesus' name.
I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray, and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.